Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, it's Friday afternoon. We're trying to split, get this in, in in between a couple meetings. It is Masters Week. How are you doing? You holding up all right? My dog is growling in the background. Um, yeah, good I'm holding boy. up okay. Yeah, good good boy is right. Um, I'm holding up okay. It's uh, I've been multitasking with work and watching the Masters, like you said. It's one of the greatest weeks of the year. Plus, it's basically the first full opening week for baseball as well. So that, that too, really good as well. Yeah, it's a good week, Joey. I'm guessing your master's pool is struggling. I'm doing okay. I, I'm actually tenth. I'm tenth out of forty-five so far. Good. So I'm not not great, but not bad either. I mean, I'm in the. I'm in within striking distance. So I'm not doing too bad. I, I say I expect you're doing poorly, just purely to bust your balls here. So I, I am. Uh, I have no idea. I don't know who you picked, and I don't. I haven't really been watching the scoreboard that closely, but. Um, yeah, it is a great weekend, but Mike, as, as always, we are still an ACC football podcast. Um, and one of the things that came up recently that we wanted to talk about here today, I don't think there's been a ton of news lately. I think maybe the biggest thing was coming out of Clemson's spring game, which was like immediately after we talked to William Qualkenbush there last week. Um, coming out of that spring game, I believe it was Ty Fomachan, if, if I got that right. I don't know about that, but... Um, he, I believe it was either an Achilles or an ACL injury, um, that he went down basically completely zapping whatever depth was there behind DJ Uyunglele. So that's something that we're going to have to keep an eye on. It, it, it could be a, a bit of an issue for the Tigers moving forward. Yeah. Um, I don't know how significant this is going to be for Clemson moving forward. I think obviously if DJU gets hurt. It'll be dicey. Um, yeah, obviously not the news you want after you know Trevor Lawrence moves on and you're breaking in a new quarterback. Um, this is a high rent district problem because Clemson's got a bunch of really good quarterbacks on the roster. But uh, this is significant when you're going into a season with a guy who, in DJ Uyangalale, has gotten limited playing time, um, and now his primary backup is out of the fold for a while. So it has the potential to be significant. Um, but there are other teams in the ACC who I think would be in a tougher spot if their starting quarterback were to go down than Clemson. But it is a situation worth monitoring, I think, for their national championship level aspirations. Yeah, leave it to Clemson to have their backup five-star quarterback go down with an injury and giving us something to talk about. Um, yeah, will they have something behind the starting five-star quarterback now? Who's to say? Um so that's worth hitting on news-wise. Otherwise, it's just been spring practice as far as I can tell. I haven't seen a whole lot of news elsewhere. I can't wait for somebody to message us and say, I can't believe you didn't talk about this transfer or that injury or this soundbite or whatever. So if we're missing something, please hit us up at basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com or at bcpodcastacc on Twitter or wherever else. All right. 
Mike, on to the actual content of today's show. So this is let's start here. This is not an original idea. <laughs> this is a straight up <laughs> ripoff uh, from the Andy Staples show here that he did probably a, a few weeks or maybe a month ago or so. Yeah, I'd say about three weeks ago. Uh, way to preface this, by the way. This is really important. <laughs> this is completely not original. No, this is this is a total ripoff. Um, but Andy Staples did a podcast with Ari Wasserman of the Athletic. Um, where they went through and ranked all of the 14 jobs in the ACC from best to worst, basically. And and let's let's start here with the premise here that we're going to work off of, Mike. The prompt here is, assume all the ACC coaches retire at once, rank the ACC's job openings based on a five-year projection. So yeah. this, mean, this could encompass and mean a lot of different things, but basically it, it is a ranking of which jobs and schools are the best set up for success and, and could sustain that success over the next few years? Um, not necessarily whose roster right now is set to have the most success over five years, but kind of a combination of the roster and the infrastructure surrounding the program and everything else, you know, situationally, what would be the best jobs that would be open or the least desirable jobs that would be open? So does that, does that add up here? It does, and <clears throat> I think we've already kind of talked about it before we hit record. This becomes a very difficult list in the middle, yes. and I'm really interested to hear where you went with this. I am not even 100% confident in the list that I have put together, um, but it will be an interesting discussion nonetheless. Yep. Yeah, I was putting my list together this morning, and I found it was really easy to pick out like the top three. Uh, I found it was really easy to pick out like the bottom three, in my opinion, and the eight in the middle is a little bit more split in hairs. Um, I, I think I got it right. You, I, I don't. You'll probably disagree. Um, but there is kind of this middle territory where it is. You know, I don't know that the ceilings are a whole lot different in a lot of these places if, if they're really running at at their highest efficiency over the next five years. I agree. So, I agree. All right. So let's start at the top, Mike. I, I think there's a pretty obvious number one here. I, I mean, I would have to say Clemson, right? It has to be Clemson. Yeah, without a doubt. And you and I, I think, can almost coach Clemson with the way it's run at this point. Mm -hmm. um, I make the joke a lot with Alabama, and you can make the joke now with Clemson as well because they're on that same level where the programs run and sell themselves. Um, obviously, I'd, I'm not trying to sell Dabo Swinney or Nick Saban short, but like, how much recruiting do they actually have to do at this point? Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, their staffs that they put together – have been so good on the recruiting trail. The success has been unmatched um, as far as what they've been able to put on the field. So it, it's really come down to the fact that there's just a really, really easy way of doing things once you have the program running at peak efficiency like Clemson has or like an Alabama or an Ohio State has. So uh, really hard to dispute this one. Yeah, I, I've written a couple of notes out for each of these, and – I mean, for Clemson, I had, they have high institutional commitment. They've got a damn slide and a barber shop and all this stuff in their football facility that, you know, they are committed to putting as much money into the program as they can. And that's a, that's a big deal for coaches and that kind of thing. Um, obviously, the recent success makes an impression on recruits. Like if, if, again, if Dabo retired tomorrow and you became the head coach, well, you can still point to, well, we've played in all these national championship games and playoffs, you know, since you were in high school, like since you were in middle school, like you've seen this happen. Um, so that's, I think that's something that they've got going for them that basically nobody else in the ACC does. 
Um, obviously, great proximity to talent. You know, it's it's not like Clemson, South Carolina is a real hotbed, but you're you're two hours from Atlanta. You're just a couple hours from Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, not to mention, again, the national brand and the ability to recruit nationally that they've they've been able to exercise here in recent years. The one thing I was going to mention, and and I think it's worth considering though, is you know we talk about this run that Clemson has been on over the last several years going to the playoff every year that it's it's been a thing with the exception of the first year when Florida State was there. But my thought was like remember how recently Clemson was not really considered a, a national championship contender? Like, you know, they they made the Orange Bowl in like 2012 with Taj Boyd and all that, but like this program really changed to me the moment that they got Deshaun Watson. I agree. Uh, they get Deshaun Watson, he leaves, there's one year and then they bring in Trevor Lawrence. And so I, I feel like that's been the thing. And, and where I'm going with that is then my question is, what is this program long term? Can they just keep bringing in, you know, dynamic generational quarterbacks every three years? Or if you have, you know, a really good quarterback, but not that guy, you know, that dude, can you still be this, you know, high end, like going to win the national championship every two, three years kind of program? That's I think that's an interesting thing to consider. I think we're going to find the answer to that pretty quickly here with DJU, and I expect him to be a very good quarterback, but I think to follow up on the success of Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence, those are huge shoes to fill, and there's no doubt that he's talented enough, he's got a big arm, and I just don't know if he's going to be as good as those two guys, and that doesn't mean that he's not going to be a great Clemson quarterback or top five quarterback in school history or anything like that. I just, you know, I think we're going to find out pretty quickly what the answer to that is Joey. Yeah, quarterbacks not as good as Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence is a really long list. Like, and, and it and it is not an right. insult. Right. No. Um. And, and Tosh Boyd was. At, you know, we we talk about how the program changed after Tosh Boyd. Tosh Boyd, a really really good quarterback at Clemson, like an mm-hmm. outstanding quarterback. <laughs> and uh, people forget about him a lot. Uh, people at Clemson don't, but people in the ACC do. And. Clemson was a really good program before Deshaun Watson, and then it only got better from there. And yep. I, I just wonder if DJ Uyangale is going to be more in the mold of Tosh Boyd or if he's going to be more in the mold of Trevor Lawrence or Deshaun Watson. That's a really good problem to have. Mike, who's your number two? Uh, my number two is Miami. And the reason why I picked Miami is, number one, recruiting area, right, and access to talent and the fact that you're in a really nice warm-weather environment. You've got a great campus. Um, outside of, you know, playing in the Hard Rock Stadium, which I I don't know how recruits feel about that. I think some of them think it's really cool because that's where the Dolphins play. I think others maybe would prefer a college stadium. I don't really know if it's a net negative for Miami or not, but all their facilities are really good outside of that practice facility, everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they are able to recruit well there. Um, it's That's never been an issue for Miami. We've had that conversation a million times on this podcast. We'll continue to have that conversation both between the two of us and with cam recruiting is never a problem for the hurricanes they're consistently a a top 15 or 20 program from a recruiting standpoint and in most cases higher than that it's a matter of relaying that that talent into on-field production and miami is a really easy school to recruit to it's going to continue to be the case it always has been always will be so i think miami is a clear number two for me yeah, I, I've actually got Miami at number three, and it was a little bit splitting hairs with my number two. But for for the sake of Miami, 
one of the things, I mean, they do have good, what I would call institutional commitment. Um, it, it took until 2018 for them to open an indoor practice facility. And that's an enormous issue at a place like Miami where you can have constant like afternoon thunderstorms and things, you know, as it gets warm and, and it's time to practice. You know, they, it sounds like they, they were having a lot of practice interruptions up until the last couple of years because now they have the indoor facilities. So that's, that's good. The off-campus stadium was something that I, I listed as something that's maybe not the best. Um, it's, it's, like you said, I mean, it's it's nice being able to preach. Well, we play where the Dolphins play, and they've put a lot of money into upgrading that stadium in the last three four years, and it's 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 quite a bit nicer now. So there's there's some good there, but it's not ideal. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've got them at number three. Great proximity to talent, like an incredible place to live. As somebody who's been there twice in the last like month, um, really nice weather. You know, beautiful place just in general. So um, really really good place there. I I think one of the things that we need to ask Cam about. And I found this really interesting that Andy and Ari were talking about is that Miami actually has to recruit the city of Miami differently than basically everybody else. They said that Miami, and again, we'll get Cam's take on this one day, but they said that Miami, you know, other schools can come into Miami and just start throwing offers around willy nilly like it's nothing. But Miami actually has to be very particular because Miami themselves, when they offer kids around Miami, it is a committable offer every time. Um, and so you can't just throw offers around willy nilly because you're going to have kids start committing that you're not really ready to take their commitment. And then, you know, you're kind of up a tree because that's just the way that kind of the politics work around there with uh, Miami and the local schools and football coaches. So um, kind of an interesting thing that I want to get Cam's take on one day. Um, yeah. my, my number two was Florida State. I, I think that's, you know, it two and three Miami, Florida State, pick your order. Um the biggest differences here, again, good institutional commitment. I said somewhat recent success with Jimbo. That's something that Miami can't really say is Florida State, you know, in these kids' lifetime since they were in sixth grade or so. You know, they played for a national championship, a 1-1, uh, and they also played in a playoff, and they also made an Orange Bowl. Like, they, they had a really good run there through the mid-2010s. Um, they do have the on-campus stadium. That's the big thing. And then great proximity to talent as well. I mean, it's not, it, it's not uh, Miami. But it's, you know, they're, they're like an hour and a half from Valdosta, Georgia. You know, everything in South Georgia and Alabama and, the, you know, the Panhandle, obviously, they have a, a ton of access to. And um, that's before you even get up into Atlanta where you're only a few hours away, that kind of thing. So I think Florida State's in a pretty good spot there um, in terms of talent and just everything program-wide. I, I think there's a lot there that is set, set it for success. You know, it's interesting that it didn't really work out there for a couple of years with Willie Taggart. Um but I think, I, I mean, I think Mike Norvell is set up for success here, too, and it, it should hopefully work out for them. The big reason why Jimbo Fisher left is because he didn't feel like he had the facilities necessary to compete long-term in the ACC. Mm -hmm. um, they have fixed that issue very similarly to Miami um, within the last couple of years. New practice facility, something that they had in the works before Jimbo left, but Jimbo was upset that it didn't move along as quickly as he would have liked. That was a big reason why he left Florida State and went to Texas A&M, where you have access to all those facilities, you know, basically right in the palm of your hand. Um, I, I have Florida State at number three. And like you mentioned, Joey, again, we're splitting hairs between two or three. The reason why I have Florida State at three instead of Miami um, is because I think the recruiting ground in South Beach is better than where Florida State is. Again, splitting hairs. Florida State's in a really good recruiting area as well. Like you mentioned, the area of South Georgia, where they are in the panhandle, you can get some athletes out of Alabama. Um, this is not, again, not a slight against Florida State, but 
that was a big one for me. I, I held them kind of on even playing ground as far as practice facilities are concerned because they open so closely to one another. Um, but the other part of this for me is that uh, Doe Campbell Stadium does need some upgrades. Um, it's a bit run down. That's something that they, again, they've been working on upgrading the stadium. It's an older stadium. It is a very cool environment to go see a game. I went there a few years ago for the Virginia Tech game, you guys will remember. Um, I really enjoy that environment. I think Tallahassee is a great college town for a number of reasons, Joey. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that Florida State is in a really good spot there. I, I think they're easily a top three job in the ACC. Yep. Who's your number four? Sorry, just to recap, so far, we said the top three were pretty easy in some order. Uh, I've yes. got Clemson, Florida State, Miami. You've got Clemson, Miami, Florida State. So we agree, we agree there so far. Yeah. Number four for me is Louisville. Interesting. Um, yeah. So I have Louisville at four. And the reason why is, number one, it's a cool town. Number two, they have a nice stadium. Um, and they have been upgrading the stadium quite a bit. Uh, and, you know, the fact that they've had recent success, right, and they've been more kind of up on the upswing in recent years. They had the bad Bobby Petrino year. He got run out of town. They had a really good first year with Satterfield. And last year it was kind of hit or miss the COVID year. We'll see what year three brings under Satterfield. But I like the overall trajectory of the program um, in the last decade or so. Um, obviously the Lamar Jackson years were what they were. He won a Heisman. He was outstanding. And they were a college football playoff contender there for a brief time. Um, but I think overall the program is on the upswing. And I think if you were to take that over as a new coach, you're thinking, okay, well, we know we can recruit here. We know that we have good facilities here that continue to get better. We're in a cool town. Like it, it's a nice, it's just a nice job to take over. Um, I have them at four. Yeah, I've got Louisville actually a little bit further down. The notes I do have on them, I mean, a, a strong institutional commitment to sports in general. Um, you know, they, they changed over the entire leadership of the athletic department here in the last four or five years. And, I mean, things have bounced back pretty quick. Um, Vince Tyra, the AD, doing a good job there with Scott Satterfield. Chris Mack, he brought both those guys in. I think both pretty well regarded as coach, coaches. So um, that's a good thing. I, they have, act, like, average, maybe at best, proximity to talent. Um you know, you're pretty close to Ohio if you want to start getting up in there and playing second fiddle to Ohio State and maybe to some degree like Cincinnati or something like that. Um, but uh, they do have a really strong connection in Florida, interestingly, uh, something that was developed really like 30 years ago that they have had a, a pretty consistent run of guys that have come out of Florida. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, he's from Miami. Uh, Lamar Jackson, I believe it was Pompano Beach or something, you know, South Florida, like a lot of their best players of the last several years have come out of Florida. So Louisville has shown the ability to do that, which is pretty neat. Um, one of the things I did mention and, and noticed and thought about, and I think something we have to consider with a lot of these jobs is they are in the Atlantic. Um, so you are dealing year in, year out with Clemson. That's a pretty big hurdle to cover. Um, and, and just in general, I think it really has a lot to do with that geography and that proximity to talent. I, I think that's the biggest concern. But, they, I mean, there is really good, again, commitment and funds and, and money there. Um, so I had Louisville actually at number seven, Mike. I had them down a few spots. Um, for my number four, I had North Carolina. Um, I, I think that's a really good job, really great resources. I mean, that's an athletic department that has a ton of money. Um, good proximity to talent. I mean, it's it's a little bit out of Atlanta, but North Carolina is a great state for for talent. It's it's probably you know on the back end of the top ten nationally in terms of talent. Um, you know, a really good brand. That's a very recognizable brand anywhere you go. Um, you know, not not just you know the fact that they're using Jordan brand uh, you know shoes and jerseys and all that, but also just you know the UNC brand and that logo means a lot and. and 
uh, I think goes a long way with with recruits and kids and that kind of thing. So that's good. They're also in the Coastal Division. I think, that, I think that's a big deal. And so um, I, I think just them being the state school, being very well funded, really good facilities. Uh, I think that stadium is pretty nice at this point. Like they've got a lot going for them. I, I think that North Carolina school, uh, that North Carolina team and program in general, I think has a pretty high ceiling for all things considered. I agree. I have North Carolina fifth. <laughs> so yeah. um, that's that's kind of where I'm, I'm at with North Carolina. And again, I feel like right in the middle, you know, we're starting to get in the middle of the ACC here. We start to split hairs, right? Mm-hmm. North Carolina, for all the reasons you mentioned, right? North Carolina, the state itself, very good state for football talent, recognizable brand. Uh, that's something I had down as well. Again, not just the Jordan brand, but just the brand of Carolina itself with football and basketball. Strong athletic department. Bubba Cunningham is a great AD. He just hired Hubert Davis. They got continuity there on the basketball side with Roy Williams retiring, who had a great run on the football side, brings back in Mac Brown. You see what he's been able to do recruiting and you see the results on the field, certainly starting to get better. And um, they, again, small stadium. I don't think it matters, but it's just something to consider. But as far as like being able to attract talent, it hasn't stopped North Carolina. Um, and I think the brand is so strong there that the fact they have a smaller stadium in the ACC doesn't really that make that big of a difference. I think the fact you're able to play for a national championship head coach and Mac Brown, you're able to uh, play with other really talented players. You're able to play with the Jordan brand, which matters to recruits. They like all that swag, right? And the fact that you're playing for a recognizable school in North Carolina makes them a very attractive job in the ACC. So I had them fifth. Man, you said it was a small stadium. I was surprised to find out it only seats like 51,000. But but that's also like a recent yeah. reduction in seating, I guess, because from 2011 through 2017, it basically held like a little upwards of 62,000. And, and yeah. so they just recently, I guess, cut out a bunch of seating. I didn't even realize that. That's, that's interesting, but uh, yeah. definitely a good little note there. Yeah. So, Mike, you had North Carolina at number five. My number five was NC State um, for a lot of the yeah. same a lot of the same reasons as North Carolina. I don't know that the budgets are necessarily as big as the Tar Heels do, but I would say not only a strong commitment to football within that athletic department, but there's very much a football culture in the fan base. Um, this is probably you know culturally up there with Clemson and probably Florida State in terms of. You know, the fans and the students and all this being, you know, all all very into football as much as any other school here in the ACC, I would say. Um, so that's one of the things that really stuck out to me about NC State is this is a this is a good job and there's people that really want it to succeed. And that's I think that's also kind of where it comes back to some of my frustrations in years past with Dave Doran is it, it this should be a good job with a relatively high ceiling. And I, I feel like it should be higher than what we've seen from him in that program at times. That's all. I won't, I, won't, I won't rehash that argument another you know 30 times, I promise. I hate to just piggyback off of the teams you're picking here. I actually had NC State 6th. Yep. Um, again, you're in Raleigh, a great city in North Carolina. You have the proximity of talent. Again, we talked about the, the talent within the state of North Carolina. You have a really passionate fan base. We have a great football stadium uh, there in Raleigh as well. Um, you're right next to PNC Arena, which you, know, you have the Carolina Hurricanes playing there. You've got, obviously, your basketball programs playing there as well. Um, it's a really passionate sports university. Um, and I think they deserve a little bit better than what they've gotten with Dave Doran at times. Um, and again, we've talked about the frustrations there, uh, but you see what he's able to do when he does get it rolling a little bit. Like some of his best teams have looked really good and they've been really competitive. They've beaten a team like Clemson, like <laughs> they hang around and they're annoying to play against. Um, so again, it's, it's a really 
talent rich area. It's a good program in general. They have good facilities. I think it's a really attractive program. Yep. So you had NC State at number six there. My number six, I had your Virginia Tech Hokies, Mike. Um, yep. And I put on there, you know, strong football culture, again, similar to NC State, similar to, to Florida State and Clemson, I think. Um, institutional commitment, as you've talked about a little bit, might be in, in a bit of question. You know, are they really truly putting the resources in that are needed to compete at the level that they really want to? Um, and, and that can result in a lot of frustrations coming from a lot of angles, too. Um, if, if the expectation is to be winning at a certain level and you just don't feel like you have the tools to do that, that's that's going to create a lot of tension, I think. So that's worth considering. Um, it seems like Virginia Tech, you know, historically recruited, I, I wouldn't say recruited at like a top 10 level, but recruited pretty well, you know, one of the three or four best teams in the ACC, and that hasn't really been the case the last couple of years. Um, we, we've talked a lot about how this current regime has probably made some mistakes with that, um, but it does seem like, you know, where a lot of that talent used to come out of the Tidewater region in, in Virginia, it seems like it's not doing that anymore. Um, and, and in fact, Virginia Tech just not recruiting well in state like at all. Um, and, and you start wondering, are there bridges that have been burned that, you know, won't come back? So um, I think there's some concerns there. And, and just in general, I guess I start to wonder as we as we move forward here through the years and we start to see kind of a, a, a bit of a, stat, a status of mediocrity you know, with the program and the ACC. Was it all just Frank Beamer? Like, or, you know, is this a, is this a Fuente problem or is this a Virginia Tech post Beamer problem that anybody would be facing? I don't know. Yeah, I, I have Virginia Tech at seven. Um, so one spot lower than you do. And a lot of the reasons you just mentioned hold a lot of water. Um, number one, I think it's a little bit of both. Like, I think part of it's on Fuente for not being able to forge the relationships in state, but not only that, you know, letting go members of the coaching staff right, wrong, or indifferent, you know, if they had a different philosophy or, you know, they were just retiring, you think of Bud Foster had really strong relationships in Virginia. He's gone. You know, they wanted to get bigger up front on the defensive line. So they had let a really good coach go and Charlie Wiles, who happened to be one of the school's best recruiters over the last two decades. Um, he's gone. He goes to NC state ironically, and he's been recruiting well there. Um, and, and Virginia tech just hasn't really recovered in state, you know, they, they've lost coaches. They were able to build those relationships with obviously Frank Beamer not being part of the fold um, is a big part of that as well. Um, but yeah, I have them sitting at seven and, you know, I, I think of it this way. I think with Babcock is a very good athletic director. Um, all of Virginia tech's athletic programs outside of football have been good and on the upswing. Um, the women's basketball team just made the tournament for the first time in about 15 years. The Virginia Tech men's basketball program uh, continuously goes to the NCAA tournament now. It's an expectation that they make the tournament. Baseball program is one of the top 20 teams in the country right now. Softball is really good. What men's and women's soccer tournament teams, the list goes on and on, Joey. Um, but again, strong athletic department there in Blacksburg. Uh, I do wonder what the commitment has been historically to football. It feels like they just never really capitalized when Frank Beamer had this program on the upswing. I think they had a real chance to, you know, build facilities and put an emphasis on football. And it's hard to say become Clemson, but you could at least become like a Miami or a Florida state where you have facilities that are unmatched or tough to match. And you could have gotten your foot in the door before a lot of these other schools who really put the emphasis on football like Clemson did. Virginia Tech historically has been a better football program than Clemson up until the last 10 years. 
Um, and Virginia Tech, I think, missed their opportunity. Meanwhile, Clemson, I think they knew they were really starting to build something. They put all their resources into football, and it's really paid off for them. So I think that's where Virginia Tech messed up. But um, they're in a really good state for recruiting, a lot of talent in the state of Virginia. Virginia is probably one of the top 10 states for high school football in the country, I would say. Uh, so a lot of talent in state, and it's a, it's a good brand because a lot of kids um, remember Frank Beamer, but the more and more we get away from – uh, from that and the further along down the line we get, they're really just going to remember the mediocrity under Justin Fuente. So they got to really try to get that turned around to become a more attractive job, in my opinion. Mike, can we talk about home field apparel for just a moment? Do it. Let's do it. Home field apparel, of course, the internet's leading producer of vintage, high quality license, good looking, cool, comfortable. Again, did I say high quality? Did I say cool? Uh, vintage licensed collegiate apparel. Go check them out. They've got all sorts of cool things. Uh, they just released some cool things for Oklahoma State. Mike, I'm considering getting some Pistol Pete gear. Uh, even from I back know, when, I saw that. They're even sweet. From, back when they were the Oklahoma, what, what Oklahoma A&M Aggies, I think they were once yeah. upon a time. Yep. Really, really cool. Cool stuff from them. Uh, Mike, they just announced that the Big New Saturday program is coming back. Are you excited? Is Georgia Tech going to be on there? I don't know that yet, but I sure damn well hope so. And if not, there's <laughs> going to be a lot of angry tweets coming out. Um, Mike, T-shirts, uh, hoodies, V-necks, all sorts of things. Uh, really cool products. Highly recommend going to check them out. Uh, big new Saturday, June 5th, I believe is when it starts here. In a couple of months, they've got 16 new schools, Mike. We have several from the ACC already represented. Hopefully, we'll get more here in a few months. Yeah, I hope so. And they have really comfortable stuff i mean the last thing a lot of people want is another college t-shirt but i promise you it'll be worth your while to grab a t-shirt grab a sweatshirt um they have a lot of really cool stuff and the vintage logos and the comfortability of their apparel is in my opinion what sets them apart um so it's not going to be like any other t-shirt that you own i own a billion virginia tech t-shirts in fact i'm in the process of getting rid of a bunch of them just because i I need more room for additional clothes. Right? Getting married so, will do that to you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Trying to uh, cut things down a little bit, but I'm not getting rid of my home field apparel t-shirt. That's for sure. It's one of the more comfortable shirts that I own. So go to homefieldapparel.com, Use the promo code GOACC at checkout to receive 20% off your first order. I know a lot of you have taken advantage of that already, but if you haven't, make sure to go do that. Shout out to Connor and the gang, homefieldapparel.com. They are the good brand, Mike. Go check them out. Yes, they are. Mike, to recap where we're at so far, um, it's funny because I actually broke these in my sheet into tiers. I, I've got four tiers, basically. Tier one, we had the same schools. Clemson, Miami, Florida State for you. Clemson, yeah. Florida State, Miami for me. Tier two, all the same schools. I had North Carolina, NC State, Virginia Tech, Louisville. You had Louisville, North Carolina, NC State, Virginia Tech. Number eight, Mike, who do you have at eight? Your Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets are eight. Really? Joey. Interesting. Okay. Yes. I have them I have them ranked a little bit higher than you probably expected. The reason why is access to talent in Atlanta. Now, you've talked about this multiple times on the podcast, and I actually hadn't thought about this in the way that you described it to me uh, before you mentioned it, but Georgia Tech being academically narrow makes it very difficult to get the certain types of athletes they want to get. Now, mm -hmm. Jeff Hapley, or Jeff Hapley, I'm sorry, Jeff Collins, different Jeff, different school. Jeff Collins has done a nice job recruiting so far at Georgia Tech, despite the academic, uh, I don't want to say limitations because that's unfair because it's a very good school, but um, 
limitations as far as what kind of programs academically kids can pursue at the level of athlete they want to get. Um, and I'm not trying to slander all these four star athletes are trying to get, but you know, there are some kids that struggle academically out of that crop of player. It's just the way that it is. And being at a school like Georgia tech with the majors that they have makes that difficult. But with all that being said, they've been really building something there in terms of how they've been able to recruit since he got there. Um, the stadium itself being in the middle of town is pretty cool. Um, it's a cool environment to go see a game from what I've heard and what I've been told. I have not gone to a game there yet, Joey, but I, that's a bucket list ACC school for me. Can confirm it's so, cool. Yeah. Looking forward to that at some point. I'll go with you. I'm sure. So um, anyway, yeah, Georgia tech's a little bit higher on my list. It's the access to talent thing. And they, I do believe they're on the upswing with Collins. So that's, that's why I have them a little bit higher than I think you expected, Joey. I mean, I have them at nine, so it's just one yeah. spot lower. It, it is it is such an interesting thing. I think it is maybe one of the more like one of the best examples of a job in, in college football that really is is more than meets the eye. Like I think the casual observer can look at it and say, Well, damn, like you're in the middle of Atlanta, like other than maybe Miami, like that's as good as any metro area for recruiting talent i mean it's up there with houston it's up there with dallas it's up there with los angeles or, you know or whatever like you know within two hours you could put together a team of all americans like that should be really easy right and it's like well not exactly like there's there, there's a lot that goes on there um I, so a couple things that i think are worth noting so first of all i would say there's decent institutional commitment there um it, it isn't like state-of-the-art facilities it's not they're not going to have a slide they're not going to have a barber shop it's never going to be this this wild wonderland of things for both money reasons and space reasons and a few things but um but it's also not like they're starving either you know they've added to the to the recruiting staff in recent years um, they've done things to try to you know, keep up with the joneses a little bit so there there is some co some commitment there there is absolutely there is great proximity to talent um, but as you mentioned, I mean, it, it is difficult and it is narrow academically. Um, and so, it, A, it's difficult to get in, and B, it's, it's also difficult to keep people in. And and if your whole goal is just to go to college for three years and then go to the NFL and that's that's it, like, you're not going to survive at Georgia Tech. <laughs> You you have right. to you you have to have any interest in in going to class and and doing homework and, and working for it a little bit in the classroom, um, you know there is no what what Andy and Ari referred to as basket weaving majors that you can get at a yeah. lot of major state universities that, you know you can barely get a kid into school and stick him there and he'll survive for three or four years like they don't we don't have that like we make fun of our business majors there because that's not engineering like, and, and easy not to not to poo poo business majors knowing that that is a that is a difficult challenging program like but yeah that's you know that's kind of where it's at so there's that piece of it the other thing i would say too is that the city and state in general are really not oriented towards supporting georgia tech at least from a recruiting standpoint um, and what i mean by that is that you know yes you're in atlanta but it's not like atlanta you know georgia tech is atlanta's team um, it is not a it's not a college town and not only is it a transient city where a lot of people move in and, and come from all over the place and very few people really truly grew up there uh, that are now like professionals, you know, around the town. But also like, you know, A, there's Georgia in the state, which is like, you know, probably 80, 80 percent of the, the sidewalk fans, quote unquote, the, the T-shirt fans like they're Georgia fans. Like it's it's easy because they're they're big and you know they're the big brand and they got the big stadium and that's the cool thing to do. Right. Um, but it's also like, you know, growing up, going, going through middle school and high school, Mike, like, do you know how many teachers I had that were Georgia Tech alumni? Like one, maybe two. Like there Most was, of them were Georgia, I would say. 
yeah, Georgia or Clemson or Florida State, you know, some of these, you know, Auburn, Alabama, whatever, like a lot of these in the in the immediate vicinity have a teaching school. You know, a lot of them, you know, where do you think the football coaches all went to school? Do you think they went to Georgia Tech? No. <laughs> so right. like there's this like built-in like infrastructure of support and such that I think works against Georgia Tech in a way that it doesn't really work against a lot of schools in a lot of places that I think just it it does make it a more difficult job than it looks like. Um, yep. So I have them at nine. Like you said, I mean, the, the obvious draw there is the, the proximity to talent and just generally the city of Atlanta. I mean, it's what a lot of people would probably call the capital of college football. So that's that's a great thing. Yep. But there's other things that no matter how much money you throw at it or, or what, you know, you're basically never going to fix. So it's right. Um, it's a very interesting place and definitely more than meets the eye, I think. Um, Fair so, enough. so I had them at nine. Who do you have at nine? Um, I actually have Virginia at nine. Interesting. Um, okay. Again, proximity to talent is there. Um, Bronco Mendenhall has done a nice job recruiting the state of Virginia. I, I think the the resources and the understanding of kind of what they are as a football program is present there at UVA from an expectation standpoint from the athletic department. And I think the expectations of the fan base, strong sense of identity for sure. Strong sense of identity. They expect Virginia to be competitive in the coastal. They don't expect Virginia to necessarily be competitive with Clemson year in and year out. So I think that's where they differ from Virginia tech. Um, That doesn't mean that Virginia is a worse program than Virginia tech. I'd actually argue the opposite, Um, but I think the, the fan base's expectations in Blacksburg are a bit higher because they've had the historic run under Frank Beamer. So I, I think Virginia is starting to get to the point where under Bronco Mendenhall, they're starting to raise the bar in terms of expectations for the program year in and year out. And that's where you want to be. And I think he's done a nice job recruiting. Again, one of the big questions we had about Mendenhall when he came across the country from BYU to Virginia was how is he going to recruit there? Turns out coming all the way across the country is better than Justin Fuente did coming halfway across the country. <laughs> so he's it out uh, with the staff that he's compiled and how he has independently recruited Bronco Mendenhall himself. He's done a really nice job. Um, Virginia has a good athletic department. Um, their athletic director is very good. Uh, they have good facilities. Again, they're not going to blow you away, but they have good facilities. They their major sports are very good. Men's and women's basketball, very competitive. Men's basketball in particular is like a top 15 team every year. So that's really good. Um, and again, anytime you have a really good athletic director and you have the ability to um, recruit in state and you're near a bunch of talent and you have a strong sense of identity, uh, I, I think you're a good job. And I, I say good job and I have Virginia at, at ninth on my list. But I think the ceiling there is a bit higher than maybe where it's at right now because they're still on the upswing of it. Yeah, I've actually got Virginia down at 11, um, a little bit lower. Yeah. I I said average institutional commitment, average football culture. You know, it's it's not like I think that the fans are just like totally disinterested, but I just don't think it's a super rabid fan base, you know, in the way that like an yeah. NC State or, or Virginia Tech or something like that might be. They are for basketball. I don't think you see it with football. They are much more passionate about basketball there for sure. Well, and that was one of the things I was going to mention too, was it, it feels like, you know, as much as we've made jokes in the past about like UNC, the football team playing second fiddle to the basketball team, it's like, I don't, I don't get the impression right now that that's an issue, but it kind of feels a little bit like Virginia's football team could be working towards second fiddle to their basketball program. And it's, it's not a slight on the football team as much as it's like the basketball team is really becoming a, a staple at the top of the rankings yeah. in the country, like a top 15 program in the country. 
Um, right. And so it's easy when you have a football program with Virginia, which feels like it has a relatively low ceiling to kind of forget about the football program a little bit, right? Like, Right. We're not called Basketball Conference Podcast for no reason, Joey. That's right. That's right. I, uh, I did win a bracket pool, so I am now a college basketball expert, I think is what that means. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> and thank God I did. Um, yeah, and, and, and again, I'm not trying to like totally just dump on Virginia here, but my question is, you know, and, and saying that the program has a relatively low ceiling is look at this program historically. And this is one of the things you have to do with basically any college football program wondering what they can be is look at them historically. Like it's very rare. Like Clemson is about the only example recently that we can think of, of a program that has broken out from its, its historical norm um, and, and kind of become something significantly better. Like what's the best five year stretch Virginia has ever had in football? There's a stretch in like the mid nineties where George Welsh was coaching and they they won nine yeah. games three times in a five-year stretch. Hey, day of Virginia football, I would say. Yeah, and before that, the best five-year stretch was, like, 1950? 1951, yeah. 52? Like, you know, so it, it's basically been, like, 70 years where they had one five-year stretch where they won nine games a few times. Like, so, yeah, it's great that they won nine games a couple years ago with Bryce Perkins and they went to the Orange Bowl and all that, but, like that was the culmination of a four or five year build that then we're turning around and having to rebuild a little bit afterwards. So like, yeah, Mendenhall's their best coach, Joey, since George Welsh, I think he's better than Al Gro. I think he's yeah. going to end up being better than Al Gro. and they were fine under Gro. I just, and London was a disaster. Uh, I was going to say, I <laughs> even think he'll be better than Mike London. Yeah, I know. Shocking. <laughs> um, but I do think, I mean, the closest competitor I think would be Al Gro, and Al Gro was fine. I just think that, Mendenhall has this thing heading in a direction a little bit better than grow. I think grow could kind of be the the midpoint. Yep. Yeah. So I had, I had Virginia down at 11, actually a little bit lower. Um, Mike, to recap where we're at here in what I would consider tier three, um, you had Georgia tech at eight, Virginia at nine. I had Georgia tech at nine. I forgot to tell you who my number eight is. Uh, my number eight is Pittsburgh. Um, mm. I put the Panthers there at number eight. It, it, it's a little bit of a downside having the off-campus f- facilities. Um, they are a few miles away from the stadium where they play, and, and I think even like w- you know where they work out and practice to some degree as well, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they do have solid proximity to talent, um, you know, especially being in that Ohio and Pennsylvania area. It's it's good not football. Really, yep. It's it's not what it was maybe 20, 30 years ago, but it's still good. There's there is talent there uh, to be had. Um, you do have to compete up against Penn State in state. You know, a couple of these programs, it, it, this is one of the few here on the list that has a non-ACC Power 5 program in state that they really have to compete with. Um, and I think com- them competing with Penn State is probably harder than Louisville having to compete with Kentucky, for what that's worth. Yep. Um, but, uh, you know, they do have a long history of football success. Um, you know, you're going back, I don't know, what, 40, 50 years, like, have been pretty consistently good. I, they've hardly ever gotten over the top. It's been quite a while since they really have, but uh, it's it's pretty rare that they've ever been terrible. So I think there's there's a lot in place there. Pittsburgh, I think a pretty good job, a pretty good town. Um, so I've got that at number eight. Where did you have them ranked, Mike? I had Pittsburgh tenth actually, mm-hmm. and you kind of stole my thunder a bit with the Penn State point, but your point's well taken, and that's actually why I have Pittsburgh tenth. Pittsburgh's got a rich football tradition, and they there is really good football talent in Pennsylvania. There's good football talent in Ohio, and you're close to the DMV, right? D.C., Maryland, Virginia, which, I mean, Maryland's not a fantastic football state, but there is some talent there in the Baltimore area. 
um, DC, they have a couple of private schools in DC that have really good football players coming out. Um, they just had the the top quarterback in the country in the 2021 class go to Oklahoma out of Gonzaga High School in DC. And Virginia is a good football state, and you're close to uh, you're in close proximity to those states as well as Ohio. And there's strong uh, talent in Pennsylvania as well. My whole thing is you got to recruit against Penn State, and that's why I have Pittsburgh lower. That coupled with the fact that again, off-campus facilities. Um, you know, you're not going to go to a game at Pittsburgh and be blown away by the fact that they have this really harrowing environment that's really going to make it difficult on an opponent. I don't think anybody feels that way at Pittsburgh for the reasons that you would conventionally feel that way about other college football programs. Like, oh, my God, it's really loud in Death Valley. Clemson's really loud at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg. Um, the reason why teams don't perform there in Pittsburgh very, very well is because it's like a library. Right? It's very quiet. It is yeah. a weird environment. You go there at noon on a Saturday and we make these jokes every fall, Joey. You know, you go there at noon on a Saturday and you're like, yep, that game could get absolutely weird. Like a little bit sleepy. You have to play in front of like 15 people. Um, it can get weird. And that's the running joke with the Pittsburgh football program playing at Heinz Field. So I have them a little bit lower and I think it's just hard to compete with Penn State. But you are near a bunch of talent and you do have a rich football tradition. So you do have that going for you. But I think it's a little bit lower on my list because of that. Yeah, I was going to say with Heinz Field, I mean, like – Obviously, it'll fill up for Steelers games, but not nearly in the way, you know, Pittsburgh football or Panther football games will not nearly fill up in the way that uh, that Steelers games will. I'm trying to think of any time I've ever seen Heinz Field really packed out for a Pittsburgh football game. And probably the closest thing I would have ever seen was a game against Penn State, like where yeah. you know, you've got yeah. a bunch of other people in the state that are interested as well. So, um, yeah, I, I've got them at number eight. Uh, you've got them at number 10. I think that's that's fair. Um yeah, good stuff for Pittsburgh. I think it helps them, again, being in the Coastal Division. I, I think those programs, in those jobs as a coaching job, I think it, it gets boosted a little bit by the fact that there isn't really like a, a dominant force in the Coastal Division right now that, that you just you're probably not getting over that hump within five years. So I, I think that's worth right. considering, I too. Agree. Uh, I agree. Mike, number, number 10, sorry, number 10, you had Pittsburgh. I had Boston College. Um, yeah. And I said, again, decent institutional commitment, a long history of being average or better. Um, the biggest thing you're always going to have working against Boston College in this day and age is, I would say, a poor proximity to talent and just straight up not in what you would call college football country. Um, right. You are deep in the Northeast, and that is just not a place that is really passionate about its college football. I think all that kind of combines to say that you have a really low ceiling in recruiting. Like, you know, if you absolutely got that thing humming from a recruiting standpoint, you, I don't think you're able to pull off like a top 20 recruiting class within all, within all reason. Yeah. I have Boston college 11th. And so we're kind of splitting hairs a bit there, but yeah, for all the reasons you just said, I mean, poor proximity to talent and the only redeeming quality of Boston college right now is Jeff Halfley. Mm -hmm. um, and the program's on the upswing. And I, I think Boston College has a chance to be competitive in the Atlantic in the next few years. And it's because of Jeff Hathley. It's not because of their facilities. It's not because of their proximity. It's not because of where they are from a college football standpoint. Nobody wants to go play at Chestnut Hill, right? You're right outside of Boston. You have to compete with pro sports teams all the time. Nobody cares about Boston College football up there. Um, I, they really don't. I mean, I got family in that area. You know, I'm a big Boston sports fan, Joey. Boston College comes after the Bruins, Patriots, Celtics, and Red Sox. They're like fifth on the list. They're slightly ahead of the revolution for soccer. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of where they're yeah. at, unfortunately. It's just kind of the way it is. It's a big pro sports city. And anytime you're in close proximity to that, it, it kind of works against the Pittsburgh Panthers, too. 
Um, just yeah. it's all about the Steelers there in that area of the country. It's all about, you know, the Patriots up there in New England. Um, Boston College football is just totally second fiddle. So it makes it hard to recruit to a school where there's really just not a strong passion for football. Yeah, it is worth considering. I mean, it is a private Catholic school. So that gives it something kind of unique in recruiting that can be recruited to or, or leveraged. Um, the thing I just can't get away from, and, and again, having it maybe a little bit higher than you do on the list, but just one spot, but it's like, I mean, you can go all the way back to World War One, and Boston College has only had a small handful of seasons finish below 500. Like, yeah. And, and obviously, you know, the, the, the population shift that's occurred over the last 40 years or so heading towards, you know, towards the South has made the recruiting thing a lot more tough. But just the fact that, like, despite anything and all, all of it, like, Boston College has consistently won, you know, at least it won as much as they lost, if not more. Like, I think that says something that it, it clearly can be done up there. You just might have to follow a little bit of a different blueprint than you would at a couple other programs. Yeah, and there have been talented players. You think Luke Keekley, you think Matt Ryan. I mean, there have been guys. Andre Williams was a good running back there. I mean, th- there's opportunity for players to go up there and perform well, and they've had success with individual guys. But, um, yeah, that's why I have them a little bit lower. Yep. So, Tier 3, Mike, here. we got 8, 9, 10, 11, Pittsburgh, Georgia Tech, Boston College, Virginia. For me, you had Georgia Tech, Virginia, Pittsburgh, Boston College, um, and once again, these are not like official tiers. We didn't talk about this before. No. <laughs> like this no. Is, it's just kind of working out this way that I, th- I think there's kind of four groupings here that you can kind of work out and, uh, and feel good about. So last grouping here, Mike tier four, uh, again, we're down to the same three teams in my mind. I've got wake forest at number 12. Yeah, me too. I, I, we can kind of group these together. I have, um, wake forest, Duke and Syracuse. Those are my 12, 13, and 14th ranked teams. Yep, same. Um, so the reason why I have them kind of stacked the way that they are, at 12, I mean, Wake Forest under Dave Colossi, if you're taking over that job tomorrow, I think you're feeling more comfortable taking that job over than the other two. Mm-hmm. Um, that might have been different a few years ago with Cutcliffe, but he's kind of fallen off a bit. And Wallace Wade's a tough stadium. Like, it's just not – it's not very big. It's not really imposing. And you talk about a school not really caring about football. They really don't care about football at Duke. Um, for, I mean, anytime coach K is coach your basketball program, that's what you care about. Um, and it's just it's so hard to watch when like at times when Duke has actually been like borderline legit good. Yeah. Like made the Chick-fil-A bowl and all that. And they still just don't give a damn about it. It's like, yeah, man. it's a bummer. I mean, when they have decent programs, they still don't really have the, the fan turnout. And I guess because they believe it's going to be short lived. I mean, who's to say, but yeah, I have Wake at 12, Duke at 13, and Syracuse at 14 because the age-old question is, is it Dino Babers' fault or is it a Syracuse problem? Yeah. And I'm starting to think it's a Syracuse problem, not a Dino Babers' problem. I know you know, it's probably somewhere in the middle, uh, but I lean more towards the fact that Syracuse, again, you talk about basketball school like we just did with Duke. Syracuse is a basketball school, really tough area. Uh, again, we talked about proximity to talent being poor. Uh, the fact that they are historically a basketball school with Jim Beheim there. Um, and, I mean, folks just don't care about football there at this point in time like they did when McNabb was on the field in the 90s. It's just a totally different atmosphere there. And they didn't capitalize when they had that kind of talent. Um, and I think at a school like Syracuse, we're talking about other schools not capitalizing on on that sort of run, like Virginia Tech, for example. It's a lot harder at Syracuse because you know Syracuse's window is so infinitely small. 
compared to some of the bigger schools. So yep. I have Syracuse as the worst job in the ACC. I I wouldn't wish that on anybody. I think it's a really tough gig. Yeah, when I when I was initially set out and just was trying to think, what's the worst job in the ACC? I mean, the first one that jumps out is Duke. Um, and that's just, you know, knowing what they are historically, again, and just the lack of commitment to football over basketball, all that. But, like, I put Duke at 13 over Syracuse at 14 because – there's still some proximity to the talent. Like, and you've, you've actually seen yeah. it, you know, for a couple yeah. of years in recent memory, whereas Syracuse, I mean, for the, the last 20 years, there's only been a small handful of seasons where they've even managed a 500 re- record. I mean, and that's, that includes a bunch of time in the big East where, you know, the competition was probably a little bit easier than it is now. So yeah, Syracuse least proximity to the talent, serious questions around institutional commitment. Definitely seems like a basketball first kind of place. I don't know what the road to winning at Syracuse is. We've talked about this before, so I won't hammer it anymore. But um, I've got that at 14. Like you said, Duke 13. Again, great academic reputation in private school. Tough insurance requirements. Basketball seems like it's it's the king there. And then football is going to play second fiddle. There is just a long, long history of total futility, which is a, a big issue for me. And then Wake Forest, I actually put it 12. It's it's a small school, small student body, small alumni base. They actually have like decent resources, all things considered. But I think ultimately, I mean, it's a very tough job that Dave Clawson is working like masterfully. Um, so, so big credit to him, and, and that's that's a good thing, I think. But yeah, I'm with you. Twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Wake Forest, Duke, Syracuse. I think we agree. Yeah. Um, so just to recap here, Mike, and I know we got to get out of here in just a minute. Uh, Clemson, Florida State, Miami. Uh, Clemson, Miami, Florida State for me, and then you, respectively. Uh, and then North Carolina, NC State, Virginia Tech, Louisville, four through seven for me. You had Louisville, North Carolina, NC State, Virginia Tech. I had Pittsburgh, Georgia Tech, Boston College, and Virginia. You had Georgia Tech, Virginia, Pittsburgh, Boston College. And then finally, Wake Forest, <laughs> Duke, Syracuse for the both of us. I'm sorry. I can't help but laugh because, like, without even rehearsing, we ended up, like, basically, I think the biggest gap between schools for us was, like, two spots. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's probably about right. Well, you had Louisville, yeah, like at four, I had him at seven. Um, yeah, okay, so three spots. But we had him in the same – it's funny how we grouped them together. It's just kind of the way it works. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, there was – again, there was a little bit of disagreement, but really not that much. So we, we try yeah. to get that in there where we can. Exactly. Uh, Mike, I think that's all I've got for this show. Anything else that you wanted to mention here from a ranking standpoint other than the fact that we were, like, exactly the same? I, this is about what I expected, but yep. I think it added some good content here for the off season. Yeah. Well, definitely, you know, you guys out there listening to us, if somebody has been screaming at their radio, almost certainly uh, about, you know, we're wrong about this or this team's way too low or way too high, whatever, like hit us up. I want to hear your thoughts. Uh, basketball conference podcast at gmail.com. If you want to send us like your full ranking against ours, like I'd love to hear about that too. Yep. All right. Uh, Mike, you need to run here. I'm going to drop, but you got the outro. I got it. We'll, we'll handle it. We'll, we'll make sure it happens. This is what happens when we record on a Friday afternoon. I have a random meeting. It pops up. So That's right. That's what happens. Well, have fun. We'll talk again soon. Later, Joe. See you, bud. All right. Uh, once again, that was Mr. Mike McDaniel. You can find him. I think he's what? At Mike McDaniel SOS on Twitter. That's it. Sending out an SOS. So go go check him out there. Um, I still can never remember what his uh, what his Twitter handle is. But again, he had to go go take off and go to a meeting. So I will get us out of here. Uh, we are going to come back and keep recording. Apologies for any uh, delays that there have been recently, but we are going to keep trying to alternate this, uh, talk about a specific team, and then talk about the conference at large. Uh, probably need to do some spring practice recaps. Again, we mentioned a little bit of news about uh, 
Ty Fomachon uh, out of Clemson. Um, really the only news I think that we'd be mentioning for anybody would probably be injury news. Um, you know, we could really try to recap some spring games, but I don't think how much, you know, I don't know how much anybody really gives a damn about that. So, um, just keep it tuned here. We will keep the content coming your way throughout the off season. Uh, in the meantime, you can find us on Twitter. Again, I am at FTRS Joey. He is Mike at Mike McDaniel SOS. And together we are at BC podcast ACC. Uh, you can send us an email, as mentioned, to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Breaker, the Overcast app. Wherever fine podcasts are sold for free, uh, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash basketballconference. Uh, anywhere you find us on iTunes or, or Spotify, whatever, you know, please give us a, a rating. A five-star rating would be lovely. Uh, give us a review. Tell us what you think of us. If, if there's feedback you got for us, you know, throw it on there or send us an email, whatever. We're, we're open to suggestions. Uh, so appreciate those who have done so. Um, I think that's all we've got for today. Hope everybody has a great weekend. We will talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.